this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. We are regular people on a quest to discover the treasures in God's Word. My name is Matt, and with me today we have Karen. Hello. And Eric. Hi. And Tracy is back this week. Good morning. So, uh, good for everybody to be back. I want to start out with a little news here. First of all, our listeners, if you've been sticking with us, you're probably noticing that the the, uh, audio quality is a little different. This has been a big lesson in my part that when God asks you to do something, you don't, you don't wait to be completely ready before you jump out and do it. Ultimately, what's happened is the last seven podcasts we've recorded finally realized that none of the equipment was working the way we thought it was. The microphones in front of our face were showing up in our headphones, but what was showing up on the computer screen in waveform was actually just the microphone on the computer picking things up. Fortunately, it was something we could work with, um, but uh, uh, we've got that little piece of stuff tri- uh, figured out. Uh, the second, and this is mostly just going to be an interesting for you possibly, is that um, this past week was when I actually posted our first uh, episode. If you've been listening, of course, I mean, you've been listening for several weeks now, but just for sake of interest, um, you know, we record several episodes early and then it uh, gives me time to work on them, and we have a little leeway that way if we have problems like audio issues and, or, or you know, holidays, whatnot. So uh, just as a point of interest, this was the first week we actually uh, posted anything, and response from the few people that have been listening has been good, and we're hoping it's going to be better. We are going to be, right now, we're available on all kinds of podcatchers. We got, right now we've got Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, there's supposed to be more coming, uh, just waiting for them to, to accept it and post it for us. So you'll be able to find it in any of those places. And we have a, uh, an email. The email is attbpodcast at theadventure.org. So if you want to uh, you know, give us questions, comments, whatnot, you can respond or you can uh, talk to us there. Will that stand for... Um Adventure through the Bible, Matt? It would. ATTV, isn't that interesting? That was unique. I like that. It was almost like it was planned. Wow. <laughs> so, so we have that. Uh, we'll be available on a website here as well soon. Uh, we're just waiting for the... I'm just waiting for things to be... Well, by the time you get that, you'll be able to find us at theadventure.org um, under podcasts. So, and by podcasts, it's listed on there plural, but there really is only one at this point. It's uh, us. We're the only game in town. Yeah. So uh, I think there's some anticipation that maybe somebody will do something else, too. I don't know. But anyway, so I don't know. That's all exciting for me, and uh, I just want to let you guys know that. All right, so let's, let's get into things. Once again, I'm starting, and I'm not prepared because all my stuff is still in my bag. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> I'm shocked by this. What? <laughs> all right, so while you're digging that Thank out, you. where we're going here is in Genesis 12 to 17. And we've got Abram, uh, the call of Abram out of his comfy spot. We assume it was comfy. And uh, Abraham and Lot, their first uh, interactions in Canaan and what's happening with that. Then we get into God's covenant with Abram, what that is and what that means and what Abraham thinks it means and what God thinks it means. And they're not the same thing uh, (laughs) out of the gate here. So that's... That's the uh, the nutshell version. Yeah. So, yeah, it starts out in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram. I mean, this is right after, if you remember, we go way back to when we had started in Genesis, and we had just gotten through some genealogies and all these things, and we had barely been introduced to Abram. And now all of a sudden, God is talking to Abram. And so it has some questions in my head. Was Abram already worshiping God? Did God just see something in Abram that, that, was, that he could work with? It, it just makes me wonder what it was about Abram that made God choose him. But yeah, he tells him to leave everything behind that he knows and head off to a new area. You know what I noticed here, too, is that when we started with Lot, I mean, Job, Job that when we went back and mentioned that there was very few rich people in the Bible that are mentioned that God really used, but how we touch on them so quickly. Job was rich. Abram was rich. Mm-hmm. And yet God was still able to use them when sometimes the 
money corrupts a person mm-hmm. or they think they, you know, don't so much as need God. It was the exact opposite with these two right out of the gate. Interesting. I was reading a commentary this week about this, and their take on it was that people who aren't worrying about finances have opportunity to be able to focus on other things. So assuming that their finances aren't the central driving thing for them, maybe a little wealth is not a bad thing for God to work with. Well, I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that money is not everything. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have it, it's everything. Yeah. It becomes everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I think that's a fairly legitimate thing. If you're trying to figure out what goes on the table next or if you're going to make rent or whatever, that's, that's, a, that's a consuming thing. That said, Jesus came and the, the people he spent the most time with and gave the most hope to were the people who were struggling with those kinds of things. And he's saying, mm-hmm. hey, look, the kingdom is first. Not to say those other things weren't important, but there's a lot of calls to sharing. And we see it here in the story of Abram and Lot. They're both quite wealthy, but I get the idea that Lot kept one eye a little bit more on his wealth mm-hmm. than he did maybe on his spiritual well-being, and several times in his life that turned out badly for him. He makes some interesting decisions for sure. Mm-hmm. I'd say that one of the things that, that I see repeated through this um, section that we're reading is God saying, do this, and Abram says, okay. Yeah. Just like, whatever it is. It's like, you know, I'm going to, uh, you, you need to leave. It's in 12.4. So Abram went as the Lord told him. <laughs> and we see Abram doing these things. A circumcision shows up the same day. It's mentioned the same day he was mm-hmm. told. He went and did. It's like, so I would suspect that that's why God called Abram, is because he was the kind of guy who said, oh, Tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so God comes in and tells Abram, now, I don't know how much of a motivator this would be for you, but God comes in and says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, a great nation out of you. Apparently this was a motivator for Abram. I might have been kind of intimidating for me. Yeah, that's I, an anti-motivator for me. <laughs> yeah, because when you say that, that, that seems that kind of puts a lot of weight on your shoulders. Maybe it was different times, because they've yeah. got all these genealogies here, and I could recite my genealogy back a whole two generations. Mm. Good job. Mm. <laughs> With the help of Jeannie, you know, maybe a little... But it, it's just, these, these were more important to them. Mm-hmm. These things of, like, who was going to become my descendants, and how was this going to work out? And obviously, those are the boring parts to us, with a few exceptions of, of people who are really into that. That's the part we love to skip over. Mm-hmm. I did the... Go, kind of, go oh. ahead. You know, I looked at it as making like a little bit of a short-term and long-term goal kind of thing and kind of setting up the plan there that just right out of the gate, that's what God does. He goes, you know what? I'm making a great nation. I need you to go somewhere. I need you to do something. Number one, you're going to be great. Number two, it's going to be a great nation. Number three, I'm going to bless you. And you know what? Anybody that curses you, I'm going to curse them. So, you know, really what more did Abram need at that point? It kind of encapsulated everything for the journey to come except the details. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, except all the details. <laughs> yeah, All the details yeah. and whether they played out how Abraham thought they would. Mm. But, you know, just like us reading the Bible, we know who wins in the end. You know, mm. he knew what he was going to get. Yeah. Well, right, out, um, right at the beginning of 12, it says that, that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Abram. Mm-hmm. At this point, he's Abram. Abram. It says the Lord appeared to him. So I would guess that they had an ongoing relationship. He recognizes his voice when he hears it. And they're kind of on a first-name basis. Mm-hmm. Did have to be to be doing some of the things Abram does later. Yeah. You'd be just like, oh, okay, well, it's got to. So I, I don't want to miss this, and it's part b- before we've even mentioned. It's in uh, 12, 2, I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you. It's the so that. So that you will be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Is it's not I'm going to bless you so that you have comfort, and so that you have ease, and so that you people think you're awesome. He's saying, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, if we forget that that's why we have been given anything, the gospel, uh, wealth, um, talents, mm-hmm. any of these things, if we get those and we think they are exclusively for us, I, I, I believe that corrupts us, because that's not what they're for. 
Yeah. And it seems like the people definitely did view, I mean, down the road, people definitely viewed Abram as a blessing because everybody, everybody's genealogies would go back to Abraham. In the Middle East, yeah. And you would think, I mean, my gosh, you'd think you'd want to go all the way back to Adam or at least Noah. Not but those they, folks. But they, they stopped at they stop at Abraham, and so this is kind of where the. I mean, we've had some cool stuff happen in Genesis already, but this is really where the story kind of gets going. That's true because everybody claims Abraham is their father, not Noah. Yeah, and not Abraham, and not I'm sorry, and not uh, Adam. Even though those are both legitimate, you know, sources of that, Abraham's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and it's interesting because we spend more time on Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think. I think it's because he's the guy who is offered the covenant. Mm-hmm. These other people, genealogically, were more of a bottleneck, right? Mm-hmm. But Abram is given something special. He is given a covenant, and that covenant is a string that goes all the way through the, rest of the, the rest of the Bible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the way through time. Now, there's a shift, I, I under, as I understand it, as Jesus said, you know, as Israel is a special people doing special things, and it's exclusively for you to share to other people, that shifts into overdrive, actually, when the Jewish nation rejected him, and God said, okay, now we need to take it to people who were outside the camp. Now, And that's why we see a lot of um, um, uh, imagery of this in Hebrews and in Romans and so on like this. It's like, okay, you were outside the wall of the, uh, of the temple, and now you're inside. You are not circumcised people, but now you are. And that ties right back to what we're reading right here, mm-hmm. is that, well, let's not get ahead of the game. Let's, let's, let's go into it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see here. When Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to mess this up, but <laughs> it, we're talking about the same guy. He just has, he's given a different name later, uh, and I'm so used to just saying Abraham. But at this point, I want to talk to him as he, about him as he is. So he is Abram still. And I meant to look. Up, I guess we have a concordance over there, but uh, just to see what the names mean, because there's there's definitely some importance in meanings of names. It seems, otherwise, why why would God give him a different name later? Uh, but um, in verse four, we're told that Abram was seventy five years old when he departed, right? And I know that from when I was little, you're taught you're always told about how Abram was an old man before he was chosen and before he had Isaac and all this. But he lived to be... Yeah, like forever old. Over a hundred... Yeah. yeah, for another hundred years yeah. after this. Yeah. So... Had was, a third wife, had a bunch of kids. Was he an old man at 75? Is, guess, is kind of my question. It seems to me he'd be more middle-aged. And I'm, I'm sitting here 48 years old thinking for somebody who's going to live 175 years old... That doesn't, I mean, that just doesn't seem like maybe it's that old. It didn't stop Otherwise, him. he's an old man for a really long okay, time. So, so here's where I'll say I think that, that they're, what they were, what they were at those ages, not what we are at our age. Yeah. Because, I'll give you an amen. Because when <laughs> Abram and Sarai show up in Egypt, mm-hmm. and she's 10 years younger than him, okay, mm-hmm. is that, okay, she's going to be the hottest woman in the country. Yeah. She's 65. You know, she's not 25. She's not 35. She's not even 45. Mm-hmm. And so they must have been able to pull off some genetics that we weren't. Because later, when Lot rescues Abram... I'm sorry, whoop, wrong way. When Abram <laughs> rescues Lot, um, when Abram goes out, I mean, he just grabs his sword and, and all his guys, and they, like, run all night yep. and yep. do this. So this, mm-hmm. is, this is not some old guy who's just sitting in his barca lounger, you know, with his remote control. This mm-hmm. guy is still, he is still active. Mm-hmm. He's at his fighting weight. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's just a piece of interest to me, is because, you know, he gets, he's always ex- described as being an old man. Sarai is described as being an old woman. And it does say past childbearing so age. It, yes, but, and I was just mm. going to say that. It does say past childbearing. So it's kind of hard to tell, like, how, how their sort of life yeah. pattern went compared to ours. Of course, mm-hmm. we're trying to extrapolate from our point of view. But yeah, you're going to have a kid. No, please. How can I have a kid? I'm too old. <laughs> he yeah. seemed to believe it earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But as, it, as he got older, mm-hmm. it got harder. 
Okay. So, but I do want to point out here that he is 75 years old when this is first told to him, when he is first given this, this, this idea of this covenant, I'm going to make this great nation out of you, and, and I'm, and I'm going to watch over you. 75 years old. Okay. So. And, and by the way, for anybody who's interested, I have a Bible that follows a timeline. It, best as scholars can estimate by who is king, when, and all that good stuff. And at the beginning of chapter 12, we have an estimate of 1921 B.C. Okay. And we were talking, what, when we were talking Job? That was in the 15... 1520. Yeah. So I'm not sure how all that fits together. Yeah. But I was looking at the time frame, too, and if you look, you know, while we're going down, it said his, the land was in a famine as well. So I think it's like what we were talking about before is that, you know, there was some other circumstances there that, you know, I think were also a motivation to him saying, you know what, okay, I can move. You know, let's do this. Let's go somewhere else. Even though I am rich, I think, too, having the burden of having, a, you know, back then you had a lot of other responsibilities. Not only was it just, it wasn't your small family unit, you know, you, your wife, a couple kids. He was in control of a lot of family members. So it was, it was that nation kind of point of view that, you know, he was probably a forward thinker thinking, you know what, I need to move because at this point, you know, there's not enough to sustain us where we're at because of a famine. And if God says I need to move, then we need to move. Yeah, he had a big payroll to meet. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. So, so oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so they go to Egypt. Mm -hmm. You know, they start off in Egypt, and sure enough, um, well, Abram asks his wife to tell a lie. And mm -hmm. they get into Egypt, and sure enough, the Egyptians are like, wow, she is the hottest thing we've ever seen. Let's make sure that she makes it to the... Uh, to the to the, to the king. King will want to know about her. And so they go in, and uh, as I recall, they, the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, is how it says right here. <laughs> um, but what I find fascinating is we skip down ahead into 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? And why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Mm -hmm. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. All right. So we'd be easy to skip over that, but implicit in that whole thing is the concept that one person marries a wife and it's wrong for someone else to marry her. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go with the idea that none of these laws show up until Exodus 20, mm. why is Pharaoh worried about... I mean, somehow, even Pharaoh knows, hey, look, there are moral boundaries here, mm -hmm. and I've crossed one, and it's your fault, Abram. Because you lied. Because you lied. And what's really interesting is that later, God says to Abram, you know, walk and be blameless. Before He sure wasn't blameless at this point. Yeah. And the idea that, that these patriarchs were always flawless and did everything with exceptional faith. I mean, okay, Abram, Abram had lots of faith. I'm not going to hold myself up as more faithful than he. My point is, is that we can take heart knowing that even people God called and said, I've got a special thing for you. May, I mean, I've, I have done wrong things. I have, I have lied to, you know, in the past. I've said, this isn't true. I've never lied to the nation of another, you know, the king of another nation. Uh -huh. But then you have to look at like, it, too. To create and... an international scandal. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly big thing that mm -hmm. he's doing. And, and yet God doesn't say, all right, you, all right, I got to look for another one now because you messed up. Mm -hmm. You know, but I, I think, too, when you look at, like, just call it like a hero of faith. Self-preservation is huge. And I think it's that self part that you look at all these heroes of faith, and that's where sometimes it was a stumbling point. You know, you look at Abram at this point, and what was it? He, he already had the promise. He already knew who's, you know, what was going to be given to him and the blessings, and I'm going to, you know, curse those that curse you. But when it gets there and he knows his life is on the line, that... You know, it's not out of the reach that Pharaoh's going to kill me if he understands that um, Sarah's my wife. So what am I going to do? I'm going to self-preservation. I'm going to preserve myself and say, you know what? Actually, she's my sister. But I always go back to 17 and look and think, you know what? God was still in control there. And what did he do? He plagued Pharaoh to the point of Pharaoh actually knew, okay, something's not right here. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Right, and that's a, that's a cool thing because God spoke to Pharaoh at that time in a language he would understand. These are signs from the gods, yeah, you know? It's like, this symbols. is a thing I would need to pay attention to. And it's interesting that Pharaoh acted with integrity. Mm-hmm. And our assumption is, oh, well, God's people are always the, the people with mm-hmm. integrity, and the people who are not God's chosen people, they're the people who have no integrity. And again and again and again, we see that God has people that I believe are his people that are outside the circle of what God's people think are God's people. I have sheep that are not of this pasture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Pharaoh acts honorably and Abram hits the road again. Yeah. So, so ideally Abram, Abram would have said, well, I'm coming into this situation in Egypt. My wife is incredibly, my 65 year old wife is incredibly hot and I'm worried. But since I know that God made me this promise, Right? That'd be one way to look at it. Although, to be fair to Abram, it isn't until later when they, when they come up with this idea where Sarah says, well, I can't bear you a child, so here, take Hagar, my Egyptian slave, and get a child on her. And Abram thinks, well, okay, I mean, the promise didn't say Sarah. What was her name then? Sarai? Sarai. Sarai. You know, it's, it said me. You know, and it isn't until later that God clarifies, no, it's going to be a child from your wife. Yeah, very mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before that, he hadn't said that. Well, so. then not that we know of. Mm-hmm. Right. But he also was not, he wasn't heeding that promise by being afraid that he was going to be killed. Right. Yeah, if yeah. he's yeah, if he's worried that he's going to die, then where's the power of God and God's own mm-hmm. promise to him? Again, it depends he, on what Sarai told him, too. Yeah. It might have been life or death, too. Yeah, and we... It's easy for us to say from the safety of this little room, Hmm. you know, but uh, he's out there facing the spears and and arrows of the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. So anyways, he does it, and and, um, God's faithful to him still through this, and they move on. It is quite the thing to ask your wife to do, though, because that was a potentially adulterous situation. Apparently it was. Like, off she went to be his wife. But I see it again and again in the Old Testament, and it's, again, I don't think it's God's ideal, but mm-hmm. people treated women as, like, you're my property. Yeah. You're my thing. Oh, you want my car, and you're going to kill me if, you, if I don't... Well, all right, here's the keys. It but just kind of was with that. It also shows that they still wield a little power. Um, kind of go with me here, humor me a little bit, but... Um, I was away last time for, or last week for a marriage retreat, and while they might have been viewed as property, behind the curtain, you know what, I think you should take Hagar. Well, you know, God did promise me something, but okay, I guess I'll do what you say. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't that they were without influence. Like, even with a nation, he's willing to to lie to Pharaoh for his wife, but yet his wife still kind of wields... A little bit of the say, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think it's. I think it's. Yeah, there's a little bit of power there. Sure, this is also a good opportunity to make note that when things of questionable morality show up in the Bible, let's stop to look at who decided to do it. There was no point in this where God said, "Abram, I'm, you're going to go to Egypt, and they might kill you because your wife's pretty good looking." So. You know, tell him she's your sister. God, we're not told that God anywhere told him to do that. This was all on Abram. Correct. So, and uh, anywhere we see, from from my reading, anywhere we see God speaking to what rights should be, He always enlarges the people's current vision of what their rights should be. Slaves, oh, guess what? You have to treat them with fairness. And I'm sure the people were like, "Wait, what?" It's like no, no, you got to, you've got to be fair with them. Oh, those people who owe you money that 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 are your debtors, you have to treat them fairly too. Treat women, them like you would want to be treated. Right, like these the women have these, and they're probably like, what? Now, I don't think, and this is where we get into trouble, <laughs> is we say, oh, God allowed them to go just to there, so that's the end of the road, right? And Jesus calls that up later too, when they call him on divorce, they're like. Well, you, we, you said we could divorce, and, and Jesus says, yeah, I, I said you could do that because you insisted, because you wanted that. Right. That's not how it was supposed to be. Right. And kind of they're like, oh, wait, what? Like, that wasn't the high water mark? And he's like, no, I've got more and more for you. And that's, 
Abram's faith and Abram the covenant. I mean, all these things is they're basically just catching a glimmer of what's to come. Mm. And I'm sure Abram, when he's told later, like, I'll make your offspring like the sand of the seashore. And I mean, I think we need to remember that that includes all of the Israelite um, uh, heredity as well as the Arab nations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we've got Ishmael. Yep. And we have his son through Sarai. Mm-hmm. And they show up again later as symbols. And I, it became clear to me this time in reading this. And uh, so let, let's keep moving. So we yeah. get to that, some of the stuff, the, the difference between the children of faith and the children of will. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden the light came on. This time, like, oh, yep. Yeah. Okay, so they did. They get, uh, man, we almost could have had a whole hour just on t- chapter 12 here, I think. Right. But, um so Abraham, Abram, uh, it looks like he got more wealth while he was in Egypt, partially because he kind of sold out his wife. Uh, but anyway, we get we keep going on. Uh, Lot becomes another central character here. What are your impressions of Lot? Uh, he he kind of seems to me as a guy who's kind of riding on Abram's coattails, and he sees success, and I mean, I'm going to go hang out with Uncle Lot because he seems to he seems to be pretty successful. And they must I'm, have been close because yeah. he went with him on his journey. Yeah. And then the only reason that they went their separate ways is because the where they were living, the land could not support the humans and the animals. There mm-hmm. were just too many of them because their wealth was expanding. Yeah. Families were growing and so they had to had to split up just for resources. Mm-hmm. I It struck me in, um, in some, as a result of having read some books about kind of perspective things to keep in mind as we read the Bible. One of them is the, um, the honor society that they lived in and how what a big, big, big deal that was to them. We've largely forgotten that. But that somebody who was younger, Lot, should have been in absolutely no way would somebody have, of honor have taken play his, his, what should I say, he wouldn't have but first in line over Abram. Mm-hmm. When they're choosing land... Abram and Lot separate, and Abram offers, you know, if you take the left, I'll take the right, or if you take the right, you know, which, uh, so Lot lifts up his eyes, he's like, ooh, in 10, um, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like Egypt, in the direction of Zoar, and then he's thinking, wow, man, I can get richer down there, that's where the good life is, I'll take that, mm-hmm. and in an honorable an honorable action would have been, no, absolutely not. You choose first, and I'll take what's left over. Mm-hmm. But Abram, and I think this is really interesting, it's again and again we see these glimpses of how God operates, and we see who's closer to God. Abram's like, you know what? I have rights, but I'm going to, I'm going to defer to you anyways. I'm going to let you have what I should have had. Mm-hmm. And he acts unnecessarily unselfishly. Mm-hmm. And... That puts, a, that puts a light on both Abram and Lot to me as to who, who they are and how they roll. Lot's like, oh, I go first? Okay, I'll go first. And Abram's like, well, I could go first, but I'll let you go first. Yeah. So anyway, it's, just, it's, it's important to think about how... I smell smoke, lost. Tracy's thinking. Yes. Oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, so what's the tie between Abram and Lot? Yeah, lots his nephew. His nephew. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of that's a little bit odd to me. You know, you know, I look at the nephew part and I understand a lot. I mean, Abram didn't have any children, so maybe there was a special bond there. But I also look at it as to the point where he did give up all those rights and say, you know what? You know what, nephew? You go ahead and you choose. That that's big. It is big. It's really. It says a lot about Abram. I but, used to read it and just think it was about Lot. But it also says a lot about Lot's character, too, mm-hmm. where that respect, that mutual respect, was not there. Right. That it was maybe a facade, almost, and where you were going immediately first was, you know, was he riding his coattails? Oh, yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. think so. Where, you know what, I have this keys to the kingdom is a good way to put it, you know, as far as my uncle is super rich, I'm super close with my uncle, and I could get all these benefits. Mm. But even in light, and I'm sure he knew the promise too, 
that he's going to be a great nation. You know what? Maybe I could have a great nation too. And I'll take whatever I can get. And if I'm given the opportunity, I'm going to go for the best. When in essence, what might be appealing to your eye might not be the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Might not be the best for your future. The only other clue, I mean, there, there were a few other interactions between Abram and Lot that sort of indicated that Abram was willing to, well, literally, ride to his rescue and whatever. But there, is, there does come a point in the future, and this is, I think, some kind of reflection of their relationship, where Abram says, but, you know, years have passed, but I don't have a son yet. Right now, my only heir is a servant, Eliezer of Damascus. Mm-hmm. Really? Why wasn't his nephew his heir? You know, so some of that stuff is kind of like, hmm, how did that all play together? Not a door. He, well, he wasn't a descendant. He might have been adopted in, into the family. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it says a lot, and I think it would, it would be easy to... A lot. It does. It, it says does. a lot. A lot. It oh, says yeah. a lot. Okay. <laughs> we always need a little humor. All little right. humor in the early morning. It's funny, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> so... I can't help but wonder if Lot knew that the area he was choosing was maybe questionable. And certainly later, Lot's still living there, and he knows beyond a doubt how bad the place is. Yeah, he's inside city proper at that point. Mm -hmm. And he keeps moving closer to danger. He just keeps moving closer and closer to danger. And it's easy to sit here and say, Lot, why seriously, why would you do that? And yet, we... Uh, get as close to danger as we can. We just we just sidle up to it, and then we cozy up to it, and then we snuggle a little bit, and then we're like, oh, we got bit? What? <laughs> and I think there's a lesson in here about Lot really integrating himself so deeply with the area where he lives. And everybody can unpack that in their own way, mm. but we see that really being a problem in Chapter 14. Yes. I like the word that you used, integrate, because I think, too, what you see here is is when it first started out and he was with Lot, things were good. You know, when you are around people of faith, you know what? I think it strengthens you. Yeah, Lot's hanging out with Abram. But the minute that you depart from them and you're owned to your own devices, you get sucked into the, the world. And, you know, you always go with sin has to have somewhat of an appeal to draw people to it. Yeah, it says the, the area was fantastic and beautiful. And and especially, too, when you're, you know, like in a faithful, you know, upbringing community, the lure of sin has a little bit more because isn't there, you know, that angel saying that, you know, when, like, when you're growing up, the lure of sin and you get out from underneath your parents, you tend to make a big splash in the world. You know, you get into things you normally wouldn't get into if you were there and under the guidance of, having a good, strong foundation or a faith foundation or a faith community or church, when you're out there to your own devices, it tends to reel you in. Mm-hmm. So what happens here? The summary is lots living in the valley, and there's a bunch of kings on one side and a bunch of kings on the other side, and the ones where Lot lives say they're not going to serve the other ones anymore, and they rebel. The other kings from outside the valley come in and say, oh, yes, you will. And they sweep through uh, and take everybody captive and make war and sweep up Lot with his family and take them all away, uh, with, along with the kings and everybody who used to be living in the valley. Now they're all taken captive. Mm-hmm. And Abram hears about this, and he immediately puts steps a, into action. And puts his giant army... Of 318 men. <laughs> well, you, you extrapolate that. I mean, it, and by today's standards, that's not a huge army, right? Right. It makes me wonder, too, and, I, and I've heard, if, if actually, as we go later and we, we read about some of these cities, mm. they weren't actually super big. We right. think cities and we're like, oh, St. Louis, you know, or, mm. or New Orleans or something like that. No, these were kind of more like what we'd call a probably a Midwest... Um, one one street town kind of things, but they were called cities and mm-hmm. they were called kingdoms. That's not to undersell, but to extrapolate that, he's got 318 trained. men, which is interesting, yeah, just like Karen said, they're trained. Mm-hmm. And so think about how many other support personnel, you might say, it would take to get 318 trained men. 
Mm-hmm. You got a pretty good sized group of people going on here, women and children. And what you does know. your Bible say in fourteen fourteen about the men? Mine has some italics in there. And what is what does your Bible say? It says trained servants is what servants. mine says. Mine says trained men. Yeah, mine says trained men. So yeah, in the uh, new king. And this is born in his house, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I bring up the point here too, a couple things, is that Abram was a was a good guy, and he he was told by God he would have this promise. And for whatever it is, he had three hundred and eighteen men that had been trained. You don't train the night before you go on a rescue mission like this. Mm-hmm. These Abram had been apparently preparing for something. I wondered, since they're living in a foreign land, I wondered if this was like the security detail. Maybe. Because think, I mean, if you've got, if you've got, like you said, enough personnel to have 318 trained men that were born into your household, which means they've been with you long enough to be strong, you know, old enough to be trained and out there fighting and whatever. You know, how many tents does this represent? It's a lot. We're talking about right. we're talking about tent city, and if you're living in a foreign land and tents aren't known for their high security, those pegs don't mm-hmm. really keep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, then do you have to have a security detail? I think you do at night and sure. stuff like that. And that was sec- my thought. And to secure your property, if you have if you're a large land livestock owner, yeah, the herds, you're, you're going to want to have something to protect your property. Which brings me to my point: is that why didn't Abram just say, "Yeah, God's got it." We're not going to bother training. We're mm-hmm. not going to buy swords. We're just going to sit on our hands. It'll all be good. Is because I think that then as now, we live in a cause and effect world. Mm. There are bad people. And bad people are given agency. They get to make choices. And those choices affect good people. And Abram proves here by his action that being good doesn't mean doing nothing. Now, he doesn't go out and just start fighting and just start instigating trouble. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go out this and showboat, like, all right, you guys, we're going to do a parade through your town, and we're tough. Like, if you mess with us, you're going to get all this. He doesn't do any of that. And the fact that he's a sleeper here actually comes to his, his aid because he, apparently he wasn't part of this big sweep of the kings. And they... The, all, all the um, says he was living the, near the great trees of Mamre. Yeah, I get, I get the idea that he lived in the upland, mm-hmm. kind of in the in the trees and forests where mm-hmm. Lot lived in the valley and 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 so on in the open. Well, Abram's been minding his own business. He has trained men. He's going to take care of himself, and at this point, he believes he's going to he is going to help take care of and rescue Lot. And this apparently was I, I see no indication that he was not supposed to do this. Or that God said, hey, don't worry about it, just sit there, I'll, I'll just like magically take all their bonds off and they can all sneak out at night. He says, no, nope. he sent Abram out with a force of fighting men, and they, in my opinion, did the right thing. Mm-hmm. They fought and got these people back. Now, they didn't go beyond what they needed to do. That was going to be my point. But they did what they needed to do, and no more. Yep, one mission, get Lot. That's it. And done. They got it. I'm they got everybody, do, right? I'm not going to do yeah, a land grab. Yeah, yeah they you did know, it's, right. Yeah, I'm so not, it's, it's not going to be a land grab. It's not going to be to in, infringe on any of the kings or right. any of their possessions. Right. You know what? I want Lot. I want his family, and that's all I want. Yeah. It Goodbye. Says, uh, 14, 16, it says so. He brought back all the goods, mm-hmm. and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, mm-hmm. as well as the women and the people. Mm-hmm. And then the king of Sodom, who had kind of <laughs> turned tail and run at this point, comes up and says, uh, "Hey." Can I have some of the stuff back? <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. You know, it talks about their culture, about how they would get to have. And I find this very fascinating. Also, is that Abram says, "I don't want the spoils of war for mm. me, but the people who are with me, let's give them what is traditionally due to them. I'll mm-hmm. let them have that." So, mm-hmm. I, in other words, he's saying, "I'll be conservative with myself." I'm going to apply these more conservative rules with myself, but I'm not going to impose those on everybody else. Mm-hmm. Because I'm rich. Well, did, did you see that? <laughs> well, w- whether he is or not, he, he says, let in, um, in the last verse, let Aner, Eshol, and Mamre take their share. And I think that that's a thing that we often, 
in my opinion, get wrong. We're like, well, I believe, let's just pick a, uh, some low-hanging fruit here. Um, <laughs> I'm a vegan, and therefore, Picking you fruit. need to be you need to be a vegan, and you need to be a vegan, and you need to be, because that's what I believe. So you have to do what I believe, mm-hmm. because I believe it. Right. And Abram doesn't go there. He says, I'm going to do what I believe, and let's go with, the, with what culturally is okay, and let these guys do what they believe. Mm. Even yeah. though Abraham, I believe, was in the right, mm-hmm. he didn't force everybody else to do, quote, the right thing. Yeah. It's also another example of his being wealthy but not being preoccupied with wealth, because that would have been a perfect place for him to just clean hoard, up. just take more. You know, but it's interesting what he says, too, and I don't have it underlined here. As I recall, he says, no, I don't want to take anything from you because I wouldn't want you to think that yes. you, you made me yeah. rich. Right. right. Yep. I found it it interesting that he even said that out loud. Mm -hmm. Not only I'm not going to take any of the spoils of war, but I'm not going to take any of the spoils of war because I don't want you to ever, Mm -hmm. even in your own mind, to be part of. Well, it was explicitly told us in 13 that Sodom was evil. Right, from the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. get-go. But 23 says that I will take nothing from a thread to a a sandal strap (laughs) and that I will not take anything that is yours least you should say, I have made Abram rich. Mm. He's like, to me, that's almost like a, I'm already rich. I don't need to take anything. And I don't want you to have anything on me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's, let's not miss Melchizedek. Karen's, Karen's going to say something. Yeah. Just, yeah before, before we switch gears, just really quick, I, looking at some of this stuff made me go and look at the timeline, like how long has Abram lived here at this point? When they came back from Egypt, three years had passed. And now five more years have passed. So they have literally lived in this area for five whole years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And with the idea of this promise being over everything mm-hmm. the whole time, mm-hmm. and he hadn't, had he been actually given the land yet? Because every time it just seems like, no, no he Promised. hadn't. It was like, okay, I'm going to give you this Your land. descendants will have this Okay, land. I'm going to hang out and wait. And, okay, I'm going to give you the land. Five years later, I'm going to give you the land. And, <laughs> and a years child. Later, I'm going to, you know, what? Um, anyway, but yes, Melchizedek, that is, what, this is one of only two times we hear that name in the entire Bible? Is there another time? Yes. Oh, yes. What's the other time? New Testament, they say that um, Melchizedek existed, and in a way, Melchizedek is a is a uh, foreshadowing of Christ, because people are like, wait, what? How can this be? Because they're saying, well, Abram, who's the greatest one ever, paid tithe to someone else, and the person who pays tithe is subservient to the person to whom they pay tithe. Of course. And so they're saying, wait, the greatest guy ever, Abram, pays tithe to Melchizedek? So Melchizedek, basically, but they don't answer the question, who is he? Uh They're just going like, and he's even greater than Abram. Um, He shows up, and Abram pays a tithe, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything, that's in 20. And it's interesting that uh, Melchizedek, basically, if you will, hear me out here, in 18, offers communion. Mm-hmm. In Melchizedek, king yeah. of Salem, brought out bread oh, and wine. Yeah. I hadn't caught that. He was the priest of the God Most High. And okay, wait a minute. He's the priest? Again. And a king. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a priest, and he's a king, and he shows up, and he gets tithe, and he's a priest of God Most High. Well, I didn't think this priest thing got set up until Leviticus. And yet, he comes out from the king of Salem... So he's the king of Salem, and it took me a while to catch on to this. He, it, it, it's later called Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Say it fast, Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow. He comes out of Jerusalem. He offers communion to Abram, and he receives tithe. Like, this is... I do not have answers, but I'm just looking at it going, wow. wow. Well, and Jesus later is said to be of the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Because he's from outside the priestly he's not, line. He's not, right. Yeah, he's not the line of Levi. And so, I, to me too, this, this is another reminder. It's, it's like, well, God's only got one way, and he's only got this one little narrow you know, lane that he can use, and all of a sudden, something passes us from the other lane. We didn't even <laughs> know there was another lane there, let alone something coming, and it's like, it's past us, and, and we're watching the dust going, what happened? Mm-hmm. And... This is one of those things where Melchizedek shows up in a different lane, 
And everybody's just, I'm left wondering, like, what was that? But they all know who he is. Apparently. Like, he's, like, this, he's not a mystery to the locals. Yeah, we, just don't, we just don't have good documentation. Yeah, apparently they're all like, you all know who Melchizedek is, right? Well, this is what happened. And King like, of Salem? Yeah, he's a priest of God Most High. We need to go give him tithe. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's super cool. Yeah. I've heard some speculation of who's, who Melchizedek might have actually been. I don't think it matters. I don't even remember. It, it doesn't matter. I, I don't even know why I said it, because I, there, there's some speculation that he was somebody important that we'd heard of in the previously in the Bible, but I don't remember who they were. But it makes you wonder about it. You know, was yeah, who was he guy? was something special, and how come this is the only time we hear about exactly. him? Exactly. So, was there anything else about his life? You know, how did he rule his people? Yeah. He he was well known enough, and I do remember that text in the New Testament. Now, when you, now that, now that we've talked about it, where it says that you know Jesus is a, a priest, not the a, of the of order of the order of Melchizedek, as in not following the traditional mm-hmm. line of the Levites from the tribes of Israel, mm-hmm. and so it was well known enough to that entire nation. Melchizedek mm-hmm. was well known enough to that entire nation, even all those centuries later. Centuries later, oh my goodness, for that to be an easy reference to make and have people understand what it meant. Mm-hmm. It's like the Book of Enoch. Where's the Book of Enoch? We mm-hmm. know it exists because they talk about it in Jude. How mm-hmm. come I've never gotten to read it? Right, or the book of the uh, letter to Laodicea. Yeah, where's oh. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got like three tech, three verses. That's all I've got in Laodicea. Yeah, so some cool stuff. Hmm. So the covenant. Should we get into that? <laughs> yeah. Now, fifteen, chapter fifteen. It starts out. God comes in and tells Abram, "Do not be afraid." I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So it's an, it's kind of an interesting question. It's like, don't be afraid of what? You know, um, maybe just don't be fearful in general. Some people tend to walk through life just kind of worrisome, troubled all the time. You know, but could stress, it be that he of... was still a stranger in a strange land? Yeah. You know, I'm sure there was, there was no comfort in that. There was no... Um, you know, where he was felt right at home, that, you know, with his large land holdings and everything, and him just being there five years and having all these kings around him, that, you know, he was maybe a little bit antsy, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit afraid, saying, okay, there's going to come a time where my huge tribe and holdings are going to be looked at differently as, you know, do you want to take over? Mm -hmm. What are you still doing here? Well, he says, I mean, in verse two, he says what he's worried about. Yeah. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Mm-hmm. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. You know, when I was so, reading that at first blush, it almost sounded like a selfish question. It's like, wow, this is what you're going to ask God? What are you going to give me, God? But I thought about it a little bit more. I was like, well, no, God has promised and promised at least twice that we've read mm-hmm. here that going to make you this nation where I'm going to give you descendants, yeah. you're going to be a nation, and here's Abram, uh, I'm not sure how old he is at this point, but we just talked, it's been at least five years, he'd be, he'd 80, 80 plus, eight, yeah. so he's at least 80 at this point, we are given some some age ranges later on as we go, yeah. but at this point, he's like, it's been five years, I still don't have children, but this is where the covenant gets that gets spelled out. And as we're talking about covenant, as we get into what the specifics of those things might be, it just kind of struck me, all, all verses 1 through 6, it's just, it seems normal. It's like, yeah, God was just talking to Abram, and they were just having this conversation. Just, it just seems normal that, in, in, in so much of the New Testament, it seems normal that Jesus, yeah, he's talking to people, and we're like, whoa, no way, Jesus <laughs> talked to this woman? Um, and I don't... On, on on one hand, I don't think we should get too... We shouldn't lose our sensitivity to the fact that in the New Testament, Jesus does talk to people. Like, that is a big deal. He is God incarnate talking to us in person. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Likewise, we see it in the Old Testament, and we're like, wow, that's cool, that's incredible, that's amazing. And we look at now, and we're like, yeah, that doesn't happen. God doesn't really talk to people. And I think it would be to our loss to make the assumption that God does not talk to people. Make promises, keep promises. Mm-hmm. Not that there's the assumption that he will speak to everybody on our demand in timetable, because God shows up when God shows up. But he does show up, and he does talk to people, and Abram is talking. And 
they have such a relationship that in 15.6, and this becomes basically the entire book of Hebrews Mm -hmm. and most of Romans, (laughs) um, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. Like, that's faith. He has faith, and this is not to be overlooked, and this is not me reading into the text. This is cited in the New Testament, is that this act of faith... This believing is an act of faith, mm-hmm. precedes the covenant, the sign of the covenant of circumcision. Mm-hmm. And that is, we may look at that and say, well, that's like, no, it's a big, big, big deal, and it's made a big deal in the New Testament as well, yeah. saying, yeah, we had circumcision, but that was a sign of an act of faith that preceded the sign. Mm-hmm. It's the faith that is the thing. And the circumcision was the sign of it. But the faith is the thing. The faith is the core. The faith is the thing that matters. The faith is the thing that was counted to him as righteousness. And that is a really big deal to keep in mind as we're looking at what a covenant is and what a sign of a covenant is, because they're not the same thing. The covenant is merely the sign of it. It isn't the thing. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of that text in James where he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I was thinking about this this thing about where God talks to people, and I was remembering in Job, when the fourth friend is talking, he says, God does speak, okay? So, so the whole entire book of Job, which we just finished, like, why is God silent? We're crying out to him for answers, and why isn't he answering? Okay, God does speak, now one way, now another though people don't perceive it. And then he proceeds to say, well, he communicates with people this way, he communicates with people that way. And I think that's the more typical thing. This, this literal conversation is, I think, much more rare. But I think the, the, the common way that God communicates is through the things that are happening in our life and the people that we encounter. And every once in a while you might get, like I've gotten my entire 48 years of life and I've had one experience where God spoke directly to me. And I was like, I was in mid sentence and I was like, just like, Oh, Oh, done talking. Okay. Done. You know, I knew, I knew what that was. It was the answer to my question. Shut my mouth. I'm done. So that just doesn't happen very often. Mm -mm. It happens when he, when he's ready. Yeah. When he wants it to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Abram wants some assurance that this is going to happen. And it's the, the, the answer he gets is kind of interesting because God asks him for a, a, to me, it seems like an oddly specific sacrifice. Yes. Oh, uh, is this 17? Uh, the covenant, the covenant chapter sacrifice. Chapter 15, 17. Chapter 15. Um, well, it starts in 10, doesn't nine. it? Nine. Let's see here. Where was I? Nine. Oh, yeah. Nine, yeah. yeah. Three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Right. I, there, I'm thinking there must have been some significance that we don't get, but there must have been a particular reason that that those specific things. Because, like, I mean, how am I going to know? Well, bring me this sacrifice. Okay, okay I'm just going to go out there because I'm not a, like a serious farm person, but I have a hard time keeping track of how old my dog is, <laughs> let alone how am I going to figure out what a three-year-old... Um, if you actually raise they... animals, you can look at them and see which year of life they're in. Really? It doesn't mean that you celebrate their birthday on August 18th. It just means that you can <laughs> yeah. look at their size and their physical development and know. Like, I was raised around horses, mm-hmm. and so even now, a million years later, I can look at a horse and tell you if it's less than a year old, between one and two, between two and three, because I'm so familiar with how all horses mm-hmm. of all breeds' bodies develop, their mane and tail, their mannerisms what they're ready they say you to don't do. Learn something new every day. <laughs> new wrinkles in the brain. So he so he does this. <laughs> he does this thing. And I find it fascinating that as he's making these promises, know for certain, you know, in, in this is in thirteen. And this is really interesting to me. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners. Yeah. In a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and will be afflicted four hundred years. Yeah. I mean God knows this is going to happen, and he still lets it happen to this question of, like, why does God let things happen? It's like, these are his people. These are the people of his promise. And he's saying, and this is what's going to happen, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. So that's the thing, too. It's like, it's going to be hard, but there will be a judgment. And we see this theme repeated over and over and over in the Bible. 
all the way through to Revelation when there's like, okay, one last judgment and and then and then there's no more. And then and then that's it. And they shall come out with great possessions. As for you yourself, you shall go down to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in good old age. And they shall come, this is in, in uh, fifteen sixteen. and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, and this is the part that really is amazing to me, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm-hmm. And what that means to me is God saying, look, you guys, my people, are going to have to have it rough for a long time so that I can keep working with these other people because I'm not done with them yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't timed out yet. 400 years? I mean, yeah, four generations of people who did what to deserve that. And it's not about them. And that's exactly. the part that's, that's both like sad because I'm looking at them like, why should they have to have be servants? Because these other people can't get their right. act together for right. 400 years. But what it speaks to me about is, is the patience of God to save people. He's but like, it all works out for the good. Yeah, he's like, I am going to work so hard to save these people that you think aren't worth saving. And, and when the children of Israel, let's not forget this, when they move into the promised land, these are some bad people. They're doing some really, really, really bad things, so bad that God says, okay, you got to kill everything, like even the animals. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much disease and nasty and just like, nope, 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 none mm-hmm. of this. You can't mm-hmm. even touch this stuff. But because they, they, were, they weren't done yet, these, all these generations of Israelites had to go over here and live their entire life in slavery. Four generations had to live their entire life in slavery, being mistreated in a foreign land just so God could, well, do his job, be keep, God. Keep working with these other people, which is, I mean, that's, that speaks to the grace of God. Mm-hmm. We get to this, like, well, God's this thundering mean when he wants to kill everybody in the Old Testament. It's like, no, he's willing to put his people to make them, to, to allow them to wander, to be sojourners, to be afflicted, so that he can work with these other people. Mm-hmm. That's, but, I don't think, to be overlooked. But you're still my people. Oh, yeah. yeah. In, line, in light of everything even, that's going on, even you're still my people. Yes. Yeah, even the thing about, like, in the fourth generation, you will come out of that land with great possessions. Well, what about the three generations before? They lived and then died their entire life in slavery in Egypt. But I think it's almost what we tell people, you know, when, we, when they get baptized, that while you're now part of the family or the, you know, the family of God, don't think that it's going to be smooth sailing. Yeah, you're not immune to the world. Exactly. Yeah. That you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but know that you're still, you know, a child of God. So to me, there's a couple of things going on here, and this is, a, this is really big big picture stuff. And so to me, it's kind of like, it's a reminder that there is an overall plan and that God does move kings and nations around because the atmosphere that we live in affects the individuals. So judgment and mercy fall to the individual. And yet the, the, the nation that you live in, first world, third world, you know, we have these kind of, I have first world problems. Yeah, you do. And within your first world standards, are you living the best you can? Have you made the right choices, right? So on, in one point of view, we are products of the atmosphere in which we live, the nation in which we live, the culture in which we live, and, in, and then what we do with that as individuals. So I think, it's, I think it's a gorgeous illustration of how God is able to judge each single person within the life that they've lived fairly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm going to call an audible here. I think I got a little overambitious in our reading for the week, and we've got way too much to talk about with Hagar and Ishmael and, oh, yeah, and the right. sign of the covenant here, uh, and we're, we're coming up on our time. So if it's okay with you guys, I would like to pick this up here again next week, because that, that, I mean, that's a lot to talk about. And so the question then is how far in, how far do we want to go next week? Could we go as far as chapter 22. We could at um, least get through 19. That gets us through Sodom and Gomorrah and the exit and the de- destruction. Mm-hmm. That would probably, probably be good. Why don't, we just, why don't we pick it up? We'll pick it up. We'll, we'll do 16 through 19 for next week. Because I don't want to rush through all this covenant stuff. I'm not even sure we're done talking about the covenant yet. 
but I don't want to overstay our welcome either. Uh, so in the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope that this has been a blessing to you. Uh, hope that uh, everything here has been some insightful, hopefully been able to uh, help you to exp- expand some of your knowledge, some of your thoughts, giving you something to work with. So uh, hope to talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.